You're listening to Fighting Terror, a podcast that explores the approaches to fighting terror and extremism in the U.S., Europe, and worldwide. With Lucinda Creighton, Senior Europe Advisor to the Counter-Extremism Project and former Europe Minister. This podcast is brought to you by the Counter-Extremism Project, a research and advocacy group that combats the activities of terrorists and extremist groups globally. Hello and welcome. For today's podcast, I'm very pleased to be joined by Alexander Ritzman, who is a senior advisor with the Counter Extremism Project. As many of you will probably already know, Alexander leads much of CEP's work on violent far-right extremist or terrorist and transnational networks, both offline and online. And in today's episode, we will take a a look at a new CEP study, which was published just uh, in recent days. And the main author of this report is Alexander. The study focuses on the transnational connections and cooperation between violence-oriented right-wing extremists, as well as organized crime actors in several EU countries and in the United States. Uh, So a broad um, range of actors. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to discussing the various forms of cooperation between violent right-wing extremists and organized crime, and um, hopefully to gain an overview of the transnational connections between groups that are also active in organized crime. So Alexander, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and taking the time to talk to us. Well, thank you, Rosina, for having me. It's my pleasure. So, Alexander, you've worked on right-wing extremism for several years. Um, So maybe before we get into the details of this particular study, could you please set the scene, maybe explain to us why researching the dynamics of violent right-wing extremism is still so relevant, and also maybe explain why the study specifically focuses on the countries that it does, which are Austria, Croatia, Germany, Greece, Poland, Sweden, and the US. Absolutely. So I've been looking at right-wing extremism since the 90s, uh, sometimes with a strong focus, sometimes just with, uh, you know, part of my attention due to other things. And over the years, there were always reports of right-wing extremists also being involved in some sort of non-political but criminal activity like dealing with drugs. And and over the years, uh, I never saw any kind of report or research that really took a good look at this. Now, we've been working with the um, German Federal Foreign Office for a couple of years now. They had commissioned us earlier to do a six-country study on the transnational connectivity of violent right-wing extremists, organizations, and uh, also terrorism, where we identified hubs and uh, key activities. We identified changes in narratives, that there was a switch from a very hyper-national narrative, as everyone would expect, a transnational narrative based on the um, um, idea that there's a threat against the white race and therefore the white warriors need to work together to fight it. So they were basically parts of these right-wing extremist violent milieus were saying we cannot fight this as nationalists, we have to cooperate. So this is how we kind of approach the issue. There is something going on and during that research We also found breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs of, you know, organized crime groups cooperating with right-wing extremists and the other way around. But there was never a format or an idea to put this all together. 
Then we suggested that to the Foreign Office. Why not look at this specific question? And that's what we did. Excellent. So like any good researcher, you're following the breadcrumbs. And I think this is a really interesting follow on study to that original one, which I think we discussed on this podcast when it was launched. So moving then into the current study, uh, which was just recently uh, released, it explores the different ways in which violent right wing extremist groups use organized crime. And it investigates a range of specific groups of this type. So uh, some of those include Turunen, Object 21 and Blood and Honor. Maybe if you could talk about those and give some examples of groups that you've researched, maybe give some give our listeners some sense of the type of activities that they engage in so we can better understand it. Absolutely. So the interesting thing is here that this was a very difficult study for us to do. Usually in research, you have previous research you can build on. But here we basically found almost nothing. There's some research on the crime terror nexus related to Islamist extremism, terrorism, and organized crime. But here this was, for some reason, something nobody looked into really. So this is we selected a couple of countries, as you mentioned, uh, discussed this with the Foreign Office. These countries could have been other countries. So this is not saying that these countries were supposedly having a very strong connection. But as I said, breadcrumbs. We could also have picked other countries to find uh, these connections or look for them. So the different things that we were seeing, and I'm connecting this to the groups that you just mentioned, are that there's four ways of linkages and, let's say, interactions between violent right-wing extremists and organized crime. One is very obviously the distribution, the supply of, for example, illegal drugs or illegal weapons. So organized crime actors provide drugs to right-wing extremist groups who then sell them for profit. Then there's recruitment. That's the second uh, part of cooperation. People are sometimes active in both. So they could be member of a violent right-wing extremist group or gang, and they could also be member of a transnational, let's say, outlaw biker gang like the Bandidos or the Hells Angels, who are not necessarily parts of organized crime. There's lots of different chapters and individuals who are accused, and some have been sentenced. But here it is really the cases we found was that, for example, Bandidos members provided the drugs to right-wing extremist groups for distribution and money, right? And the third part was support, giving each other advice, uh, sharing locations for different activities, providing security services for each other's events. So right-wing extremist organizations would provide security for organized crime groups and the other way around. And this then maybe leads to the most, to me, fascinating part is where right-wing extremist groups transformed, morphed into hybrid right-wing extremist organized crime gangs. So you mentioned these Turonen, that's a German case study. Some of these guys, or original title is Brotherhood Thuringia, that's a, a state in, in eastern Germany. Some of these guys have been active in right-wing extremism for plus 20 years. But in 2019, they started buying drugs on a big level. They started doing illegal prostitution as a business model, extortion, money laundering. So they really morphed from one side 
into something new. And we have other cases we highlight in the report where similar things happen, right? So we have rather loose cooperations up to absolute transformations of groups into basically Nazi mafias. That is so interesting. And I mean, is that is that a case of sort of just cutting out the middleman? So some of these violent right wing groups just decide that it's that this is something they can do themselves. It's easier to do it themselves, keep it all sort of under the one roof, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there are obvious benefits. There also are risks, um, but there are obvious benefits in terms of financial you know, possibilities. Some of these groups are driving expensive cars, others not. They invest everything they get from their illegal activities into the movements. Right, so there's also this mentioned Turonen from Thuringia. They were co-organizing these large-scale right-wing white supremacy music festivals with hundreds of thousands of euros in turnover. They were mm-hmm. also operating other businesses. So they were coming from, uh, a, let's say, a rather high-end level of income stream and seemed to wanted to add and have even more money. And there's court cases right now that try to figure out who exactly was involved, how exactly these organizations transformed into organized crime groups. But the the real motivations uh, are to be determined because this is an ongoing case. And in other cases, it's also about people knowing people, doing things together and supposedly making easy money. The other point I think is important to raise is that the regular assessment by intelligence and security agencies is that these two worlds do not go together, right? So you would read in a Europol report that there's very little evidence that organized crime and right-wing extremists or terrorists cooperate. And this is something we need to discuss in a minute or so because it looks like that. But if you dig a little deeper, there is information that there's actually a lot going on. Very interesting. So this this potentially will, will really inform the views of intelligence and law enforcement agencies around, not just around Europe, but potentially internationally, as they begin to understand this nexus more clearly. I mean, this is what we are trying at CEP, right? We're not just happy with publishing reports. We are an advocacy group as well. So we're trying to inform and discuss our findings. So yes, we're, we're hoping for this. The key issue here is that if a right-wing extremist group, and even if their bodies are full with swastikas, uh, which is illegal in Germany, but that's not the point here. So let's say you, they're very easily identifiable as right-wing extremists with a violent track record, and they start becoming involved in dealing illegal drugs or illegal weapons. What then happens is they are being depoliticized. They're being handled like a regular organized crime group. There's no statistic available in any of the countries that we looked into that could display the amount of cooperations between right-wing extremists and organized crime. Because once right-wing extremists are involved with organized crime, they're simply labeled as organized crime. So it is factually correct from a security agency perspective to say, our statistics say there's no such thing as a cooperation or there's no such thing as these hybrid actors because there is no statistical category for them, right? So they live between these groups, they live between 
the spaces of these uh, silos of responsibility. So you have law enforcement focusing on, let's say, right-wing extremism. You have law enforcement focusing on organized crime. You have prosecutors who focus on either or. And you have tax authorities. And since they usually don't cooperate, there's no shared approach on to identify and fight this. It could look like this phenomenon does not exist because they are all being categorized into either or. Mm. And this is something we are highlighting. So we're not saying there's a huge amount of activity and there's thousands of groups doing this. But we're saying we found very interesting uh, evidence that suggests that the stuff that is going on cannot be seen by authorities because they're classified into either or and hence miss the bridges and the linkages and the transformations. Mm. Very interesting. I mean, that sort of compartmentalization, I suppose, is yeah. not uncommon. Um, we see it uh, with different extremists um, and the response to different extremists and, and, and terrorist organizations. Um, but uh, I think you've really spelled out very clearly the overlap and the interplay between these different groups. Have you noticed a difference in terms of the, the, the specific countries that this particular study looked at? Have you observed a difference in how authorities react to, to these different groups, both on the violent right-wing extremist side and the organized crime side. Are there some countries which maybe have a better or more joined up approach uh, in terms of how they deal with it? Is there a best practice that you can point to? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so we looked at Austria, Croatia, Germany, Greece, Poland, Sweden, and the United States. And as I said, we could have picked basically any country. We have not found one country that has, for example, uh, task forces of these different kinds of law enforcement and prosecutors and tax authorities investigating this phenomenon. So in all the countries that we looked into, if a right-wing extremist group is dealing with illegal drugs or weapons, they will be treated as any organized crime group. And if an organized crime group is full of right-wing extremists, that simply doesn't show up anywhere. They're just an organized crime group. So we only have seen in Germany uh, that there's one report by the federal criminal police that highlights cooperations between crime and terror. But this is mostly focused on Islamist extremism. You know, you would look at Taliban, you would look at Hezbollah and others. And they started say mentioning this one group that we were discussing about. But in general, unfortunately, there are, there are no good practices. And this is not a criticism of law enforcement because this is how law enforcement is structured. They're built to operate in silos of, of responsibility and expertise. And what happened, for example, in Germany, there was a court case against a, a group of neo-Nazis dealing with drugs. And the judge was very upset because what happened in the process was that this group of people, right-wing extremists, neo-Nazis, were again handled as organized crime actors. And the organized crime uh, law enforcement experts did simply not understand what was going on because they didn't know the networks, the codes, the language. So actually the trial somewhat went wrong because the organized crime experts who know a lot about organized crime and very little about right-wing extremism they, they missed out on having a better prosecution available. 
right? Yeah. So this is because there is no cooperation, it seems. It's either or. And this is the, the pattern that we saw. So we're not saying that we found thousands of cases, but we found dozens, for example, in Germany, in Austria, and in Poland. So here we have all what I talked about earlier, ad hoc corporations, and we have transformations into Nazi mafia structures. We have found some things in Sweden, especially related to outlaw biker gangs. We have found some things, of course, in the United States, where you have this you have 75 white supremacist prison gangs who are involved in organized crime. But the narrative in the United States is rather to say they are not really white, white supremacists because their focus is on making money. And this is something that should be discussed, right? How do we determine what someone or a group is? And at CEP, we usually say we look at what they do, right? So if, if they have targeted violence on what they consider non whites and are involved in organized crime professionally, they would fit in our category. Even if maybe not everyone is a super ideologically, like we had the same thing with the Islamic State, right? Where people were f moving, traveling to the Islamic State with a handbook uh, on, on the Quran for dummies, because they didn't really know anything about the religion, but they wanted the action and the hero status and all these other things. And of course, this applies to all kinds of extremism. So we have a very mixed picture mm. regarding the countries. And we think, and that's my hypothesis, that the countries where we found very little, for example, Greece and Croatia, could be because the situation there is very different from Poland and Austria and Germany, or that there's actually nobody looking at the issue the way we've been doing this and that there's no specialized civil society organizations that report on this, right? It, that someone needs to report it. If not, what else can you, what do you see, right? You see nothing. So we found differences in quantity and quality, and we rather think it's due to different kinds of activities and research, but it could mm. also be that really there, there are hotbeds in terms of countries and other countries where this is simply not happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So to wrap it up and bring this discussion to our conclusion, I'd like to discuss the recommendations in the report. I mean, I presume some of the recommendations are around coordination um, within law enforcement and intelligence services. Also, by the sounds of things, just collating information and data on, um, on who these actors are. Are there other specific recommendations that the report makes or that you would make in engaging with policymakers in the future arising from your research? Yeah, we actually have quite a, a long or at least a, a relevant list of um, recommendations. But I would like to stress and uh, repeat the, the key point that we're, we're trying to make here. Without joint task forces that include the different kinds of law enforcement, different strands of prosecution and tax authorities, it is likely that these cooperations take place not undetected because sometimes there are arrests and sometimes people go to jail. Usually the small fish go to jail for a small amount number for a few years, sometimes leadership, and sometimes there's even a ban of an organization. But in general, the risk of 
prosecution and consequences seems to be not that high because law enforcement, prosecution, and tax authorities don't cooperate usually. So this is what we therefore call for, to make an assessment in each country. You, you need to have this, the, the mapping of the actual activities before diving into the recommendations. So we recommend these regional and national joint right-wing extremist organized crime task forces that go through the available information, do in-depth investigations, and then say, okay, there's really something going on that slipped through the cis between these silos of responsibility of the government's approach. Or it could be that there's really nothing to see here and they, they can focus on other things. But as long as there's no follow-the-money approach, as long as there's no Al Capone approach trying to disrupt these actors by also looking into money laundering, tax evasion, as long as this all is not really happening, the other recommendations are very important. But this one is the key thing. And it has to come from the leadership, political leadership. Law enforcement cannot simply say, okay, now let's cooperate. This is on a rule of law based structure, right? So you need to have the leadership of the ministry, of the political parties, of whoever is in charge say, okay, let's do this and find out what is actually going on here. Mm -hmm. Alexander, that has been hugely informative. I encourage all of our listeners to, to look at the report available on the Country Extremes and Project website. And thank you so much for sharing your, your analysis and your findings with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. It was fun. My pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion. Please don't forget to like, comment on, and share this episode. You can find out more about Fighting Terror and the Counter Extremism Project on Twitter using our handle at Fight Extremism and on the homepage of our website.